and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford and joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey Stu, how are things in the Mediterranean this week? Uh, they're pretty good, I have to say. We, we're having a bit of a sort of dull period. It's The weather's a bit sort of cloudy. Uh, we've had, uh, you'll know what this stuff is, sort of wet stuff coming out of the sky. Mm. Don't see it that often, but we've had a little bit of that. Snow in the Mediterranean? Oh, uh, well, there's the snow up on the mountain, um, but then there always is. There's a ski resort up there, so um, Mediterranean skiing. Um, but no, it's it's just been a bit dull. And surprisingly so, normally by now we are sort of well on the way to ramping up summer, but it the long range forecast for the next 10 days suggests that summer's going to take its time this year. But what about Canada? I, I hear it's been absolutely tropical. Well, for Canada, yes. Uh, for my area of Canada, particularly, it's uh, a balmy one degree as we're recording. Uh, this is a very positive thing, even though it sounds pretty cool. Uh, it got up to sort of nine, 10 degrees Celsius during the day. I don't know what that is in real numbers for the American listeners, but it was warm enough that I went out to do an errand in just a t-shirt and a down vest, no long sleeve, no hoodie, no thick winter jacket. My arms got the breeze and they, after six months of been inside, they had no idea how to take it. All the hair stuck up. It was, it was a very odd feeling. That thing called sun on an arm. Oof. But yes, it's, it's slowly warming up. Most of the snow around my area has gone. I'm pretty happy. I, I see the vestige of spring and I see all the work that has to be done around the house. Ick. <laughs> well, uh, there you go. That's if spring brings, brings chores. That's my understanding of that. Uh... The phrase there, you, you've got things you need to do. Yeah, that thing called the grass, it starts uh, growing again. It's, ugh. Um, yeah, anyway, it is what it is, but I'm glad that we have sun. I'm glad that we have positive numbers rather than negative numbers in the morning, even though that's probably uh, not going to last for the whole week. But, uh, you know, I'll take every little win as it comes. All right, so you got any follow-up this week? Uh, yes, I've got a bit. Actually, I've got a couple. Um, first, uh, many thanks to Lisa S., who gave me some uh, some great advice about dissertations. Uh, and she should know. Uh, she, she works in that weird and wacky world um, and got there by means of lots of dissertations, as far as I can work out. Um, mm -hmm. As it happens, I did put a request into... Um, I, it's not the actual institution. It's kind of the portal that I go through that allows it to be online and executive MBA type stuff. And they kind of went, oh, no, 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 no. You can't no, withdraw from the business project. Mm, no, I mean, you could get Cyprus to declare independence from the world, but uh, that might seem a little draconian. Or you could take 72 years off or uh, no, no, you can't, mm, can't move the date. So I sort of went back and went, um, well, given that the proposal deadline is not until ooh, June, there can't have been anybody assigned because you haven't seen the proposal. What, what's the hassle? I, I don't understand. And they sort of went, well, that's why we're in charge and you're not. Right. Okay, good. Um, 
executive decision. This is management by academic. I, I, yeah, I think it's th there is rules for a reason, Justin. All right, don't mess. So, um, my proposal has got to be in uh, for the end of June. And that's what I'm going to do, uh, and then the work itself has to be done by the 9th of January, twenty four. Um, and my last unit of the MBA, the sort of sort of taught unit, ends on the twenty sixth of November this year. So, um, a good sort of four months after I've submitted. So eh, eh, what can I say? It, it's not ideal, but I dare say I will cope. Um, I just won't be doing uh, anything that involves strategy because that's my last module and I wouldn't have learned anything. Although I suppose I could argue that I know a bit about strategy already. Um, so anyway, um, I've had some great advice from Lisa and I've gone back with a list of supplementary questions because sort of fellow I am, let's, let's abuse someone's time if we can. Um, uh, and yeah, she, she sort of gave me a little nod in her direction as well. So I'm exploring that as a route and hopefully I will come up with an idea. But um, first I've got my current module. Uh, the final assessment is in two parts and part one is due as we record in three days. So um, need to ex-digitate as they say and get that done and then the part two is is the week following uh, and that is the late announced oh here's a surprise for you it's a group thing uh so i had i had my little um first group mba zoom today yes it went it went as well as expected Yes, i may come back to that later in the episode um and the other bit of follow-up is uh there was some sort of tragic accident involving a website, um, a credit card, and um, well, I've, I now have a monitor a little bit bigger, so oh, the the screen is a uh, is now a Mac Studio to go with my Mac Studio, so I've got the studio and the studio display. Oh, you get the great Zoom uh, webcam that you have on there. <laughs> yes, indeed, the one that shows like all of your ceiling and just a little bit of you. Or is this a crap video? Well, I mean, I have to say, and this is a review based on about an hour's uh, use so far. Um, the I've got the Vesa mounted uh, display, so it's not pointing at the at the ceiling because I can adjust that. Um, this, in effect, is the only sort of properly adjustable version because of the vase amount you can, you know, swivel around and et cetera, et cetera. So from that point of view, I've got no complaints yet, but give me time. I dare say they will come. <laughs> what about you, Justin? What have, what have you got going? Oh, I, I got into a little bit of a, well, sidetrack. You know how you start doing something and all of a sudden you end up somewhere completely different. Oh, yes. I, I went to chat GPT because I was trying to give you some resources for how to deal with academic writing. Mm. And I figured this thing's going to have references and everything. So I put a link in to our last show notes. And while I was there, I thought, oh, let's see if it can write an introduction for stationary adjacent. Oh, very good. Hit me with it. Welcome to Stationary Adjacent, the podcast for people who love all things paper, pens, and ink. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of stationery and explore everything from new products to old favorites. 
the class, the latest trends to classic designs and the fascinating history of these tools we use to write, create, and express ourselves. Whether you're a collector, a casual user, or a stationary newbie, our knowledgeable and passionate hosts will entertain, educate, and inspire you to embrace the beauty and joy of stationary. So grab your favorite pen and get comfortable. Let's dive into the world of stationary adjacent. I'm guessing not, not a listener, eh, Stu? Um, no, I mean, it sounds like a good show, but cool, there's a lot of work in there. Think of the money we'd have to spend on stationery for a start. Mm, yeah, okay, so that's my first sort of experience of ChatGPT. I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment for the moment. Well, once, once I started with that bunch of um, drivel, um, you know, it's, it sounds great. It sounds like, I, I mean, salespeople, your job is done. This stuff will sell anything. Um, probably not the stuff you're actually selling, but it, it will sound very convincing selling anything. Um, so I, I went in and I, uh, kind of did a, well, for Stu and myself, uh, I went in and I said, Oh, let's, let's figure out if this is so funny. Let's try this for who is Justin Twyford and who is Stuart Lennon? Mm. I can do Stu first because I thought it was just brilliant. Stuart Lennon is a British entrepreneur, author, and speaker, best known as the founder of both Scribbler and Nitpickers Nook Limited. He is a creative business strategist, passionate about helping individuals and businesses succeed through embracing innovation and technology. Stuart has experienced Extensive experience in the creative industry, having worked as a graphic designer, copywriter, and illustrator. He is also a published author, having written over 10 books on a variety of topics, including creativity, productivity, and entrepreneurship. Today, Stuart is a sought-after speaker who lectures on topics such as innovation, leadership, and entrepreneurship, and his insights and wisdom have helped numerous businesses succeed. Well, there you go. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, Apple, that was all me. Uh, Google, that was another one of mine. Uh, Amazon, you know, the, the shopping place, uh, that that was all me. More, impre- more impressive is uh, who, who is Nitpickers Nook Limited and Scribbler? Well, uh, Nitpickers Nook Limited um, doesn't exist. Um, Nitpickers Nook is a website that, hey, I love the name. I mean, what a fantastic name. Um, but it's uh, it's a sort of blog, really, about well, nitpicking. Um, and uh, yeah, whilst I, I heartily recommend everybody goes and ha- has a look at Nitpickers Nook, it's nothing to do with me. Um, and Scribbler is a stationery store or chain of stationery stores. Mm, wow, have you uh, have you branched out? And we did not know about this. Well, um, it was founded um, just after my 11th birthday. So I was, I was a precocious child. I was, uh, no, no, actually, again, for, for all the lawyers listening, um, I can categorically state that I have nothing to do with Scribbler. I've never been a director nor owned any shares. Um, not entirely sure I've ever been in one. I may have been, but I don't think so. So my my response to ChatGPT there is there are some fairly fundamental factual errors Unless, of course, there's another Stuart Lennon who, who is all these things. I, I don't know. Mm. Well, I figured I'd try my name as well, because my name is a little more unique than yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I figured the StuartLennon.com would sort of give it away that, hey, crawl this website, and there you go. There's the obvious guy. But, you know, anyway, chat GPT for me. 
Justin Twyford is a talented and dynamic individual who has made a name for himself as an accomplished entrepreneur, visionary leader, and philanthropist. He has a proven track record of driving growth and innovation in a variety of industries, including technology, finance, and real estate. With a passion for creating impactful social initiatives, Justin has also made significant contributions to several charitable organizations. His dedication and commitment to excellence have earned him a reputation as one of the most innovative and forward-thinking leaders of his generation. Now, it's complete crap, but that is going as my intro for my LinkedIn, because, geez, I couldn't write such good stuff about myself. <laughs> well, it's, uh, as far as I'm, I think with yours... There's there's nothing that could get you sued per se. Whereas I might be in trouble claiming to have founded Scribbler or Nitpickers Nook Limited, whatever that might be. Um, and yeah, graphic design, copyright. No, haven't done any of those. Um, I have written over ten books. I'm not sure I've published. Well, I'm absolutely positive I haven't published ten books. Yours, I think, you know, I mean, it's it's describing you in glowing terms, which is only fair, I think. Just perfectly accurate. Yes, perfectly applicable. You know, I'm definitely the philanthropist who, uh, you know, and, and I sold a house, so that puts me into uh, real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I, I, there is a lot of talk. I'm sure everybody's heard about it. It's it's on the news all the time, all the different versions of this, and everybody's got to have a version. What utter nonsense. That's all I'm saying. Utter nonsense. But I thought it was entertaining, so I thought I'd include it. Well, it, it's a beginning. I think that's what the people are saying. It's a beginning. I think Bill Gates, um, I'm subscribed to one of his newsletters, and I, I haven't read it, I'll be honest. It dropped into my um, feed. and. Uh, the the title is the age of ai has begun yeah uh, bill that's what bill says all right let's let's not talk about microsoft because i signed up for their they've got this new bing search thing that is mm -hmm. chat gpt enabled yeah so i i signed up for that you can't use it on a mac unless you download whatever crap um microsoft web browser they actually want you to use mm -hmm. so you actually can't use it unless you install a microsoft product and there is no way in heck i'm putting any more microsoft than i have to looking at uxl um onto my computer so uh yeah i've got i've i can i can access it but i can't because it doesn't like mac which is very microsoft isn't it well you know it's the old battles are the best battles all right Stu. let's get back onto our normals uh, what have you got for your tool this week? Ah, uh, well, yes, tool, tool of the week. Um, as I said, the the MBA uh, that I'm doing at the moment is the module I'm doing is applied leadership, uh, and you, I, I'm sure people can imagine there's quite a lot of stuff written on applied leadership, and the um. The assignment, which as I said, is split into two. The first part is a lit review. So uh, sort of read everything um, and then give the highlights of the big theories, if you like. And then literally last week on a Zoom, um, I suppose, lecture, meeting, tutorial, whatever you want to call it, 
the, the professor said, oh, yeah, little thing, spoken to admin, and the final assignment does have to be group work. And dear listener, you'll be delighted to hear that I restrained myself and did not use any words that Justin will need to bleep. But I did think them. And so I put into the chat, oh, that's somewhat late notice. Uh, to which he replied, yes, I'm very, very sorry. Um, and then I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I got it wrong. That's broadly what he said. So um, we were then told to form groups. <laughs> and our uh, sort of forum that we use for the MBA stuff doesn't actually have a private messaging side. Who would need that? Exactly. So you either have to do all this group forming in public or you have to, on a public forum, say, oh, can I have your uh, pick coordinate, you know, email address, phone number, whatever, so that we can we can chat. And so this whole sort of weird, wacky dance began. And long story short, I finally got the call for my group was scheduled for this morning. Um, and well, it was about as awkward as you could expect, really. So there we are. There are only four of us. We're, we're quite a small group. Uh, but getting us on the same call was already a nightmare because we've got two in China, one in Dubai and myself in Cyprus. So, I mean, it could have been worse. If we'd had somebody in the States, then we really would have been in trouble trying to get somebody to work time zone wise. But once we get everybody on the call, then there's, okay, I thought, I'm, I'm a grown-up here, I'm going to, all right, guys, first thing, housekeeping, how long's everybody got? Oh, I've got two and a half hours. I can do 60 minutes. Right, okay, 60 minutes it is then. And then it's sort of introduce yourself to these people who, I'll be honest with you, I'd never spoken to or interacted with ever before. <laughs> um, Not awkward at all. Yeah, the paper has got to be in in 10 days. And so it's like, oh, wow, this is... And you've got to decide, how, how's it going to work? Are we going to have one scribe who's going to, you know, sort of produce the final edit? Or is everybody going to do a bit? Or And I was just, I was sitting there going, are they just training you for a sort of life in corporate hell where you're going to be going to pointless meetings, both in person and online? This this is exactly it. Um and perhaps at the end of the NBA, they'll go, you see, you, you see how we tricked you there? But, oh, dear, oh dear, Justin. What? I, I'm too old and curmudgeonly for this sort of nonsense. So, yeah. So let me guess how this went. Stu said, here's how I'm going to do this. And what would you guys like to do? Um, close. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd set up over a WhatsApp chat. I set up a WhatsApp chat group and I, I tried to guide people to where I think we could best do this. Um, and if I was going to put it in very straightforward language, I, I would say I can really write. So the the final edit and the big words and where the citations go, I can do that stuff because that's that's my mitty and that's where, where my talents lie. What I'm not very good at um, is um, the research to get all the citations, to pull everything together. Um, so... I think that maybe what we might do is we might all take a section 
and build an argument for that section. We can have a discussion about the argument. And then um, from those sort of basic notes, I'll produce a pretty little text. Everybody can edit. It'll be fine. Um, and then there'll be a sort of final document that has a, a style all the way through. That's where I was hoping to go. Um, but I hadn't accounted for Kate, the lovely Kate, um, who is... The latest uh, name of the AI that's uh, in your group? <laughs> I, I suppose there could be AI involved. She lives in Shenzhen. Um, uh, she's a Ukrainian woman. And she, uh, the, the final word count on this piece is about two and a bit thousand, yeah, 2,000 words. Oh, you wrote that just uh, in bitchy questions to these people asking about this, didn't you? <laughs> well, she she came up, she said, I've done a bit of an outline. I thought we could maybe start from that. Okay, Kate, that sounds like a great idea. Bang, shares the document, 1,964 words. Oh, good. Don't have to do anything now. So, so there's three, three other, three others on the call. Okay, we'll add another twelve words each, and we're done. Um, <laughs> so that you know, uh, you know, full credit to to Kate, but um, it's sort of, I don't know quite how I feel about it because it then brings in sort of diplomatic skills. <laughs> Who me? Um, about sort of saying, mm, yeah, I see where you're going with that, but it's nonsense. Or um, how about this? How about that? So I I got a little bit of practice of doing that, of saying, yeah, that's that's great, but I think there may be some clues in the question. <laughs> yeah, Oops. yeah. Always important to read the question. Um, that sort of stuff. So uh, I think we'll get there. And, and don't get me wrong, the gu the guys are are great. They're all seem very very nice people, very very smart people. Um, but it's just, I'm a bit annoyed at the institution because I think everybody in the corporate world knows that if you want something to go really, really slowly, get more people involved. That's, I mean, that's just a, a rule of work. Uh, if, I want, if I want a really good set of accounts or a really good financial analysis, I'll ask one person, not eight people, because then it all becomes, well, again, I, I can't use a word that Justin would have to bleep, but it's it's tough to work in a team to sort of, you know, form a team, uh, storm a team, get it norming and performing within about 20 minutes. That's that's hard work. So, um, hmm, yes, not the best use of my time, but I suppose it's all learning, isn't it, Justin? Oh, it is. Stu, you're going to come out of this. You're going to be able to start a business. You're going to be able to work in it for 15 years and sell it and retire. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, but hmm. anyway, what about you, Justin? What was your tool of the week? Oh, I, I was frustrated this week. I spent far too much time on a problem. Um, so I was uh, doing some monthly online training and uh, the timing just did not work out for me. It was kind of a middle of the day thing. And the middle of the day I've realized is not good for interruptions in my day. It just throws my workflow out of, out of balance. So I, I canceled it. It's a hefty investment. And uh, I decided, you know what, I'm, I, I'll, I might come back to it when I, I have more time, uh, especially, you know, less deadlines. But for now, just not going to work. Mm -hmm. So I canceled this about so two, two and a month and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And for the second month in a row, I got billed this rather large amount that uh, one has to go back and... Um, well, I messaged 
the last time and said, Hey, I canceled this. And they said, Oh, we'll get you a refund. And I waited a week, week and a half. And then I messaged again because, well, still no refund. And uh, apparently that still didn't get me canceled. And so I got a, another hefty bill this month for it. So I, I messaged and then I called my bank because I, okay, this is getting out of hand. I don't want to waste all my time doing this every time. Well, I realize my bank is crap as well, Stu. Um, my, my credit card, because I said, okay, well, you know, this is a recurring problem. Here's, you know, I laid out the problem. Um, here's something I had given authorization to. I had revoked that. And this is the second time that they've kind of ignored it and charged me. Um, you know what my bank's option was, Stu? Well, why don't you just cancel your credit card? Hmm. Geez, let me think about that. All the prepayments and Apple Pay. Because, uh, you know, you cancel a card up here and you're without a credit card, my, my primary credit card, for, well, a good 10 days. Um, so I kind of said, okay, that, no, 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 that's not going to work. Um, what, what can we do about this? Uh, the solution was, well, nothing. Basically, you can dispute each charge after it's posted in. Mm -hmm. um, and what a pain in the butt that was. Um, I was dealing with some overseas call center, which apparently my bank has gone to now, uh, because trying to communicate effectively was challenging. Sure. Um, I went through two different people. It was just, I was absolutely frustrated. Stu and I talked the other day and he was complaining about his credit card based in England, giving him a hard time. I was wondering, do you have any suggestions on good credit card usage do you keep a separate card for online do you do you do anything different Stu? because i i wasted far too much time i i mean i'm getting made whole but you know a couple of phone calls every month to try and deal with this is far too much uh hassle for me so i, I thought it'd be good consumer education part because i know you're you're good on all that stuff um what do you suggest well i mean the um the, the main issue the problem or thing that comes up with credit cards is that there are so many parties involved so i'm guessing that your card was badged either visa or mastercard and assuming that it was then you can always raise a dispute so uh, the problem is you speak to your bank who don't want to do that because it's a hassle. Um, and so they don't mention it. And as you said, they come up with a, a million and one ways not to do it. But if you dispute a charge with MasterCard or Visa, then it is immediately debited from the um, the sale, the, the retailer, if you like. Because uh, it happens to be in Neuros where um, if if somebody feels that they haven't had their delivery, some people don't reach out to us. They just go boom, and they we get a charge back. It's called, um, and there's all sorts of admin and stuff that goes with that. But the instant reaction of Mastercard or Visa is to recredit you the money. Ah, not in Canada. <laughs> well, I, th I think it is, but you're speaking to an intermediary, so the bank doesn't want to do that because it's a pain in the back backside for them to do all the the, the books behind it. Mm. Um, 
uh, there are companies now who are offering cards that generate um, new credit card numbers kind of per transaction. So um, you, you, you can never get this issue, as it were. Or if you do get this issue, you can eliminate that specific number. So you have a card that might have a thousand numbers associated with it, and the numbers are based upon the transactions. Oh yeah, I forgot um, about that. I think that just replaces a whole new set of problems. I think that's that's what worries me about that one. The I I did look into those when uh, they were doing the podcast advertising rounds, uh, maybe a couple of years ago when they first came out. Yeah, not available in Canada, of course. <laughs> right. We have a different banking system. Uh, than the U.S., which uh, probably with all the stuff that's going on in, well, the U.S. and in Switzerland at the moment, uh, maybe not such a bad thing, but uh, no, for a lot of that stuff, not available. Yeah, I mean, the U.K. is very well positioned for this stuff. We have a, we have a thing called the Consumer Credit Act of 1974, which makes the credit card company uh, jointly liable with the retailer. So if you buy, um, for example, a car on a credit card in the UK and your dealer is saying, no, 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 the engine should fall out after a fortnight, that's completely normal. You can you can stop talking to the dealer and you can say to Visa or MasterCard, give me a refund. These goods are damaged um, and I, I want satisfaction. And they are jointly liable with the with the the car the car dealership so um it can it can create an alternative sort of way to get recourse in the uk and that's why in the uk um if you're booking holidays or flights or anything like that people you're advised to use a credit card that runs contrary to the advice that says whoa don't 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 get yourself into debt if you don't need to this is obviously use a credit card and then pay it off before it starts generating interest so pay it each month um a, you'll probably get air miles or some other benefit, but B, you get that joint liability protection. I don't think that applies in many other countries. And I'm guessing from what you're saying, certainly not in Canada. I, I did have some options, but they certainly involve several phone calls and lots of oh, different yeah. people. And that's just more hassle than it should have been. Part of me was thinking, well, do I, do I get a online only card and just mm -hmm. have that, that I could blow everything? It's just such a hassle, though, because then you got another payment you got to deal with. And, yeah, more admin, <laughs> and 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 then certainly I might lose. Uh, you know, as you said, some of the rewards. Uh, the card I have is uh, rather nice because it gives me nice rewards. Sure, I know uh, you as a uh, well. Let's let's be completely honest. You as a retailer are paying for my rewards, but thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I mean, and it's um, I mean, I've. Uh, I suppose as I sort of finished up in the UK in the early noughties, I had a lot of cards, um, a lot of bank accounts, um, all sorts of benefits. And I had a very clear strategy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, now I'm a sort of old semi-retired curmudgeon. I've reduced that um, a long way down, a long way down. So I only have, what do I have now? I probably have one, two, three credit cards, two of which probably exist as, as emergency only cards or certainly one. One is an emergency only. Um, one is um, a sort of standard card. And one is one that Margaret never checks. Ah, that's a studio uh, card, is it? 
that's where that's where apple purchases tend to go yeah, yeah. um smart <laughs> but that, that's about as, as complicated as i get because as you say you've got you've got three lets three lots of direct debit or three lots of payments to manage um and checking statements and you know making sure that you're not getting uh, you know double billed as you have been or billed when you shouldn't be it's a pain the best way always to deal with it is to go to the the service provider the retailer um but of course retailers you know, get stuff wrong. The, the, you know, you can be involved with small companies who, who are struggling to work out what to do. You can be involved with big companies who have, you know, horrible call centers who don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. It's the, the joys of retail. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was, uh, that was an hour or two of my week this week that I really didn't need. So there you go. That's my sure. tool. Mm. I, a tool with an, a, a, an exclamation mark. What a tool. Anyway. What are you writing with this week, Stu? Uh, well, I'm still writing with the same fountain pens as I was last week. So um, enjoy my Pelican M605 and my uh, little Sailor uh, Pro Gear Slim Sapporo. Um, but I'm also using at the moment, just because I've been sort of scribbling notes for Zoom meetings and all that stuff, um, my my Baron Fig Squire, the erasable version. So um, Baron Fig does erasable, if you like. Uh, erasable being the erasable podcast for those who don't know um all about pencils so this is a rollable pen that looks a bit like a pencil so the the barrel is a kind of amber gold color uh and it's got a little the the knock uh, which is the bit you twist to get the uh the pen to come out uh is pink like a little pencil eraser so it's very cute very cool it's a limited edition done uh oh must be three four years back now i'd say um, very nice pens, the the Squire. Um, a lot of time for the Squire. Only problem is they don't have a clip, uh, so they do roll. <laughs> the one thing they roll a lot. Mm, and uh, you have a nice uh, solid floor that they can find too. Yeah, I, I'm, I I do have one of those desk mats that has a sort of ridged section where I can drop a pen into, and it's it's corralled. Very important for someone as clumsy as me. Anyway, what about you? What are you using this week? All right, so I uh, cleaned off a couple of pens. I pulled up uh, an M205 clear demonstrator from Pelican mm-hmm. with, well, what has to be probably the finest nib that Pelican has ever made. I'm not sure what it is, where I picked it up, or what nib is in it, because, well, they don't actually mark it, I don't think. Uh, but it's it's a tiny little pen. I have to post it, Stu. I'm not a poster, and this one needs to be posted. In my yeah, 205, yeah, yeah. Fat, meaty hands. Uh, but it's it's clear, and I filled it with Mont Blanc Lucky Orange. Mm. So I have this bubble of Mont Blanc Bright Orange looking at me through this clear, beautiful pen. Uh, mine is a version with uh, silver trim work on it silver furnishings it's absolutely gorgeous it's been living well wherever i'm writing it is there this week i'm just having so much fun with it mostly because it's absolutely clear and i love the orange and that orange i'm not sure if you've tried it Stu, but oh, oh yes it, it is so bright it's so vibrant it's so much fun and i think it adds more sun to my life than the actual sun does out here <laughs> Yeah, very nice combo. I mean, the uh, the two hundred five or or the two hundred. So I mean, they are lovely little pens, but uh, they're steel nibbed, which probably probably suits you if you want a nice fine line. 
Um, and you, yeah, as you say, you have to post them unless you've got very delicate little hands. Yeah, this one has been lovely. And that ink, you know, I, I think I'm in love with my colors of ink. That's that's kind of what's doing it for me at the moment. Anyway, I, I was actually thinking, though, I do have the erasable barren fig as well. I'm wondering what I did with that because uh, it's probably in a drawer somewhere with a pile of other squires because that's how we do things, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a family of them as well. I managed to sort of pull myself away before it got out of control, but I think I've got oh, maybe four. Yeah, I'm probably about the same. Uh, anyway, they're fun. Nice little pens. Um, do not stick them in a pocket unless you have them in a case. Learned that the hard way. They've got the same Retro 51 um, flowy ink uh, cartridge. The uh, What's that cartridge, Stu? The, the Schmidt. Schmidt. Um, and I, I tell you what I did once. I put it in a pocket. The, in some, uh, the inside of my jeans pocket had just a little... Um, fluff a little seam that came up and made contact just inside the top of the the, the nib so even though the pen was re retracted uh, there was just a little bit of fluff that got in there and well it, it's like a, a kleenex it just sucked all of the ink out of the pen and into my jeans and i was walking around all day with a big Brown, uh, blue stain well just to the side of uh well yeah you can imagine what that looked like i think we're there justin yes we're there so uh be careful word of caution on that mm, absolutely good advice who says we don't cover stationary in depth yeah maybe chat gpt is right maybe 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 we had we had to kind of double down this time uh, uh, speaking of doubling down our, our topic for this week what life lessons have we taken from our careers? That sounds like it would be an easy question. Oh boy, that wasn't for me. Um, you know, I kind of thought through my career and everything and went, oh, don't do just what Justin did to plan a career. Um, Stu, you you you're pretty successful. <laughs> uh, what what do you have? Do you have any any good good tips for people of what life lessons have you taken that people could think about? Um, I, I have a few, uh, most of which come from, um, I suppose one set of events that I really took something away from. So in 2002 resilience, I've called this in 2002, um, I went into work on a Saturday morning to finish some stuff. Um, just, you know, I didn't usually work Saturdays. I was, I was a chief executive at the time. Um, uh, at a well we were a financial institution and around about lunchtime i was escorted from my office by security Ooh, um my world blew up so um i had a couple of meetings over the, ne over the next few days and basically was told that i had until the end of the month to get out of my company apartment um my entire life was tied to my job um, and in fact was funded by my job and it was in Budapest. So sure, I had friends, but it's quite a long way from home. So um, my world went bang and then I uh, ended up going to the UK and within six months, my marriage was over as well. 
Um, so, so it was not a year I look back on terribly fondly, but it was incredibly important. So I then moved to Cyprus um, because for the for the obvious reason that my mum lived here and had a house and I needed somewhere to live because I'd lost my company apartment and my wife and I had broken up. So um, I just set up a business, uh, which still exists to this day, and I was running training courses. So part of my role um, free the blow up was to to train frontline staff in uh, everything from sales skills, basic management, team working, all sorts of stuff. And so I, I sort of took that outside and, and outsourced it, you know, became an outsourcer, a consultant. Um, and then while I was here, I, I answered an ad in the English language newspaper. Somebody was looking for a, uh, a sales manager for a money transfer business. And I, I sort of got in touch and said, well, I'm not a sales manager, I'll be honest. But I did used to run one of the biggest money transfer companies in the world. At which point he went, oh, well, maybe we should talk. And so we did. And I ended up working for him. And in 2005, through contacts I'd made in that job, I set up a new company. Uh, with the sole intention of, of working with MoneyGram, one of the big money transfer companies, um, and being their sort of their outlet in the UK. We were going to go and sort the UK out for them. Let's put it like that. And, and this is the kicker. The biggest shareholder in, in that company, so I was the second largest, the biggest shareholder was someone who'd organized for the security guards to come and escort me from my office in 2002. So the, the whole thing um, moved sort of full circle. In 2002, I would gladly have killed that that person. Mm. Um, and then in 2006, he was best man at my wedding. Oh, you are a lot more forgiving than I am, my friend. <laughs> there, there was, uh, you might imagine, there was a large bottle of scotch involved in the conversation about what had happened in 2002. But what what this taught me um, was that thing, things happen for a reason. Things come around. And I took a load of lessons from this. So the, the first one that, that I would give, the, the real one, is that work matters much, much, much less than you think it does. Um, I know that's facile. It's, it's very easy to say that. But... We, I think in the Western world, certainly have a tendency to tie our identity in with our work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really unhealthy. You know, we are not just who we are at work. We are who we are at home, who we are with friends, who we are in the community. And you lose one job, certainly for me, my world completely disappeared. It involved me moving country, let's say losing a marriage. All of that stuff all happened in one sort of horrible domino collapse of this went and that went and then this went and that went and this went. And it, I, I thought the world was over. And it wasn't. I was able to go, okay, this is where I am. And it's a fantastic motivator. You know, if you don't have enough money to pay the bills, you think, mm, I better do some work. 
And so that helped me get my company going. I got in touch with old um, colleagues, people who'd moved on and, you know, pitched, pitched myself as being able to train their stuff. Um, and while that was happening, I went and worked at a bar. So <laughs> you can, very often you can find a way. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's something you aim for, but work, you are more than your work. That's what I would probably like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I went back to the UK in 2005, so I, this was to get that whole, the business started. It took forever. We were dealing with an American corporate, no offense to American corporates, um, who, who think that, you know, short term is the next nine months. We were thinking, uh, we kind of like to start on Tuesday. Um, and I was thinking I'd really like someone to pay me some money because I've now moved to the UK. Uh, why did I move to the UK? Because I'd met a young lady called Margaret. Um, and I was quite keen on building a relationship with her, which was difficult. We, we, we'd, we'd managed over, over sort of aeroplanes and stuff, but I thought, okay, this is, the business is going to be UK based. Margaret is UK based. I, I see an opportunity. I see synergy. Um, but I did need to pay the rent. So, um, I ended up working in a pub again while we were negotiating with MoneyGram during the day. Then I'd come home, take my suit off, put a t-shirt on, uh, and go and work in a pub that was essentially, um, uh, it was frequented by, by the Sweeney, which, um, British people will understand. Um, American people may be confused. Um, there is a division or there was a division of the Metropolitan Police called the Flying Squad. And these were the guys uh, who went after armed robbers. Um, They were, I I suppose, kind of elite, seen as quite maverick. Um, And Flying Squad, uh, in Cockney rhyming slang, is Sweeney Todd. So, squad Todd. Uh, So they're called the Sweeney. Mm. And these Ah, okay. Boy, that's a long way around, isn't it? That's 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 Cockney rubbing slang for you. Um, and these guys are, um, I, I, when I say guys, I'm both genders. They are as mad as a box of frogs. And and the deal was, um, when when I started working in this this bar, my potential was spotted. Justin, they went. This fellow looks like he can hold his own. Uh, so I was made assistant assistant manager. Mm. which essentially meant I was the barman who closed so that the manager could go home early because when the flying squad came in, if they wanted to drink until five in the morning, then you were open until five in the morning, even though that was technically illegal at the time. But anyway, um, <laughs> these guys were just absolute, absolute, they, they would come to let off steam, you know, big case, dangerous work, working hard hours. And when they got a result, when, when somebody bad got put in prison, they would come and celebrate. Um, but yeah, I, I must tell those stories another time. That involves a bottle of large scotch to use a callback there. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, you know, while I was trying to get that, that main business going, again, it was just get back to basics. And okay, yeah, I can be corporate Cobra and I can use all the big words and I can sit there and we can, you know, talk about, margins and share and nuance and capital adequacy and all of that good jazz. Um, but at the same time I can go and work in a pub in the evening, serve people beer, um, serve, serve them beer quickly, make them drink more beer, put the profits up. 
um, and, you know, lock the doors when they go home. The whole 2002 thing um, taught me that people will always be true to themselves. So I don't want to get into the the precise nature of what happened in 2002, but the um, the reality came down to a fact that the other person involved in the conversation in in the situation acted exactly as I would have predicted the other person would have. That was their nature. So there was an element. This isn't entirely it, but there was an element of um, it was one or the other, and. Um, people will protect their interests. Mm, corporate politics. And so I suppose what, it, yeah, I suppose what I'm saying is don't be naive. Um, you know, people's interest is always their own. And you will meet all sorts of people, some people who will say that they're interested in more than just their own interests. Uh, uh, they're, they're probably just telling lies. Uh, and people who are very straightforward about the fact that they're just looking after their own interests. And I think we may need a word from our sponsors because I I, I can hear my dogs <laughs> expressing opinions here. Um, I'm not quite sure what they're expressing opinions about, but it's all looking very serious. Excuse me, dogs. Can we stop? Quite know what's going on. Who's coming up the driveway? Well, there's nobody coming up the driveway, but uh, dog number one, lead dog Spice, is looking out of the window, growling at something, and Charlie. Faithful attendant is going, I've no idea what I'm here for, but I'll growl as well. Go on, let's let's all growl. Growl. I'm surprised you're not up there growling at the window as well, Stu. Oh, I'm considering it. It's it's all these wires that I'm attached to that slow me down. Um what was the other thing that I had? Oh, yes. Um, never do anything you believe to be wrong. Um, again, this sounds easy to say, but we had several uh times in our business as we were building that business where we had options to do things that would have been efficient. Um, So uh, there was quite a lot of debt involved in our business. And one of my roles was was collection. Now, I mean, I wasn't going around and hitting people with hammers or anything, but um, both me and the guy that formed the business, we did everything in the business to start with because we were the only employees. We grew eventually, but to start with, if somebody hadn't paid up, we would go and visit them and say, excuse me, why haven't you paid up? Um, and obviously it wasn't our favorite part of the job. It's quite time consuming going to places in person. Um, and gradually we started outsourcing that to people. And in a specific territory, because we, we ended up running more than just the UK, we ran multiple territories, countries. Um, we had an opportunity to use um, a consultant, shall we say. And it became clear <laughs> that, that this consultant was essentially a terrorist who was getting into a different line of business. Um, and these are very big words I'm using, and I'm aware of how strong they sound. They are entirely accurate. Oh, so Wonderful. Um, if you go to um, a terrorist organization to collect your debts, you will find that you get all of your debt collected um, because, well, I mean, who wouldn't pay uh, if a terrorist comes knocking on your door? Um, and 
that was very, very appealing to us. It's very frustrating when you have a business and you you see large parts of, of that business destroyed because people just don't pay you. Um, and that's a constant battle in, in this particular business. And so it was really tempting because I knew someone who knew someone because I'm quite a good network sort of um, investigator. And um, it was someone I'm, I was able to sit down and have a chat with. Um, and I had a meeting in a hotel outside an airport uh, with my, my contact and this third party, where it was made abundantly clear to me who the third party was. Um, and, you know, they very confidently said, yeah, I, I said, so what sort of percentage would you expect to, to collect? 100%. But no, I mean, you can't get everybody to pay. Oh no, we will. Hmm. Okay. And so, you know, I, I sort of left that meeting and got on the phone to my, to my business partner and said, yes, we can do it. I can, I can have the deal done by, by nightfall, but I really don't think we want to be here. This is, this isn't. And, you know, as I say, there's a part of you that goes, fantastic, this problem just goes away. But we, we actually said to each other, look, each of us has to get up in the morning and look, look, look at ourselves in the mirror. So no, we won't do that. And I think you've got to try and keep that moral compass uh, in everything you do at work because it doesn't matter if you get caught, it doesn't matter if it rebounds, it doesn't matter if it comes back, you will know. And you can never run away from yourself. Wherever you run, you'll still be there. So um, if there are things that are, are wrong, depending on your position, et cetera, et cetera, don't do them or walk away from them. Um, you know, life is, <laughs> life is too short to, to get into that sort of difficulty. Um, next one was measure yourself against the task, not the person. Uh, again, I think there's a tendency and there have been some sort of definite management movements to make things a competition between people. Oh, yeah. Um, so the, the only way I can get a good deal is by giving you a bad deal. No, I know it sounds trite, but win-win does exist. And also with my colleagues and with the people that I come across, I'm not trying to be better than them. I'm trying to be the best I can be. I'm trying to do the best for my business. And so I measure myself against the task, not against the person. There are lots of, of very nice ways to put this very poetic ones about um, not stepping on people on the way up because you don't know who you're going to meet on the way down. Um, but don't, don't turn it into a personal uh, competition because just like gunfighters, there is always someone out there better than you. Um, that's not what you're, you're fighting against. What you're, what you're fighting against, what you're striving to achieve is the task, not to be better than another person. Um, and I think the the last one, Justin and I probably share this one. Um, corporations do not serve you. They serve themselves. <laughs> so we are human beings and we have this wonderful complex calculations of what is the right thing to do? How should we behave? What's the best course of action? Corporations look at profit. In some way, they're actually dictated to do so. So if you're a um, director of a listed company, then you have a legal obligation, a fiduciary duty to ensure the best possible return for the shareholders. Um, and that may not be the right thing to do, but for a corporation, it's the only thing to do. Mm. 
Wow. Uh, you know, what's funny is I've, I've got a few notes in here as well, just kind of random thoughts that I was busy day yesterday throwing things in. Stu and I agree on every one of these. I, you know, I'm not sure I would have agreed with these when I was young, but uh, now they make a lot of sense, Stu. They are very, very true. Uh, my, my work history is a little different than Stu's. I, well, I came up as an employee rather than as a business owner. Um, what I did was I jumped from, well, this looks like a good option to, well, this looks like fun. Let's try this. Um, whatever seemed like a good idea at the time. And, uh, you know, looking back on it after all these years, maybe not the best option. Uh, some thoughts that I did have, though, certainly ones to agree with, with Stu on every one of his points. Um, one of the things I think you've got to do is not just work hard, but look at how you create value. And mm. that is something that uh, I think is very easy in this, these days of uh, eight hours of Zoom meetings and political intrigues that go on, particularly big organizations. The question I think that is always, you know, part of what this podcast is about, the productivity part of that, what am I doing to create value and look at how best to create value. The other thought I had on that is think through what it all means. Um, so there are a lot of people that will do a task and they'll do it very well. They'll do it, they'll do it perfectly. But I think the difference between good and great in an organization is thinking through what your task means, what your objective means, what your goals are, whatever you want to call that. Um, I was reading this morning, I'm a Formula One fan. We've talked about it a little bit on the show. Uh, there's a team called McLaren who's having a rough go and they have just fired their technical director, the guy that is responsible for building the car and replace him with a team of three different people. One that does the aerodynamics, one that does the engineering, one that does the power plant. And I kind of looked at that and went, that's going to be tough to get three people on the same page. You know, maybe I'm old school, but thinking about, well, if I change this, how does this affect the aerodynamics of the car? Those things are very, very hard to deal with. And certainly you've got to look at, um, here's what I'm doing, but here's how it's going to impact you. Process and procedure are really good for this. Mm -hmm. So think through what it means in your objective to create value. Hey, I got a tie back there, Stu. Hey, very good. Politics are real. Uh, Stu talked about this. He, you know, was uh, uh, don't step on people or, you know, be careful of who you step on because they might be there on your way back. Um, mine was be considerate of others, uh, you know, there is an element and, uh, you know, I'm the kind of person, I think Stu might've been one of these too, that gets it done at, well, almost all, um, you're going to, you're going to get it done. You're going to drive yourself to a higher uh, standard and certainly, um, been task motivated is one of those things that other people's feelings, emotions, politics, whatever, uh, you gotta be so considerate of them particularly in this day and age when working with intergenerational people that have grown up in a different generation than Stu and myself. 
we used to, well, the nineties were a place where you would get toe to toe and scream at somebody. Um, not because it was, you know, it was just the way that, um, you know, big tough guys thought they were, were supposed to be looking back on it, it was idiotic and crazy, but that was kind of how things were done. Um, you can't do that today and you shouldn't do that today. So there you go. Um, I echoing Stu's uh, feelings about corporations, you know, do the best job you can. But at the end of the day, corporations aren't necessarily loyal to you. What I wanted to go a little further on is look out for yourself and build your brand. Use every opportunity you can to build your brands. Um, you know, are you a representative of this company when you're networking, you're meeting somebody? What happens when you're no longer representative of that company? Your email's cut off, your cell phone's cut off, the people can't get a hold of you. Look out for ways to connect that are yours. They're not within the corporate box of here's what, what happens. Because let's face it, uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking at, we talked about it last week, uh, places like Facebook just axing another 10,000 people. There are going to be some fantastic people in that 10,000 just to make up numbers. You know, that, that's a number that, as Stu said, it's, it's catering to the fiscal responsibilities, the fiduciary duties of, of leadership to the shareholders. That's really what it comes down to. It's not about, can you do the job? Are you the best to do the job? Is this a job that we should be doing? Can we put you somewhere else? This is just a, oops, we screwed up. We need to save some money. Here's how we're going to do it. All those people need to be looking out for themselves and building their brands. Uh, one thing that if you are in a larger organization, particularly find a mentor or a sponsor, uh, this isn't likely to be your boss because your, your boss is corporate politics. Your boss isn't really going to want you if you're doing a good job to get promoted and move out and make their life more difficult. What you need to do is find people that will champion you. They will help you navigate. You know, this is probably somebody in a senior position. They'll help you navigate the politics, the who's who in any large organization. Um, so you got to be mobile. You got to be flexible. You've got to do this in a way that does not tread on any toes because, well, enemies are easy to make. And as Stu found out, you end up in a place where it's one or the other in politics. Well, they become a thing. Um, think about your career too. Something I didn't do. And I really recommend people to do think about where you're going. The opportunities seem good, but are they the right one at the right time? It's, you know, business is a bit of a game of poker. You never see all the cards. Nobody tells you everything, uh, especially not at an interview stage. And uh, that can work really well for you. It can also be a challenge. So, uh, you know, think about that as well. And and the, the last point that I wanted to make is comfort is dangerous. If you're doing a good job and you're kind of, below the radar, you're, you're in a strange place. You might be one of these 10,000 people. So I think you've always got to be looking at the value you create, uh, the 
politics, the finding that mentor sponsor to make sure you're on top of it, building your brand. Because if you get comfortable, you get complacent, you could get blindsided by some of these moves and they, they can be real. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I've been through, well, like Stu, uh, my job suddenly went away one day and, uh, that sort of, uh, hit me real hard because, uh, probably a bit like Stu, I, I was living and breathing that particular company at the time, you know, that was my be all and end all. That was all I thought about. That was kind of where all my passion was. And then somebody took it away and that does happen. That is a part of life. Um, you've got to be cautious about that and plan for it and have, have a backup plan, you know, whether it's just a little bit of financial cushion in your bank account, whether it is, uh, you know, options of making the, the best connections here and there, um, just always have an escape hatch somewhere that you could use if you need it, especially the larger the company, the less individual contribution you make and the more political some of the decisions are, um, you know, it's, it's a reality that we all have to deal with. Any thoughts on those two? Yeah, no, I think uh, some great points. Um, you know, as you say, uh, a mentor or a sponsor is great and it doesn't necessarily need to be someone in your organization. It might be someone that you meet, um, you know, in an associated sort of trade, but really what you're looking for is someone with a bit of experience, a bit of wisdom, um, who will probably be happy to, to be your sounding board. Um, you know, when, when I've sort of acted as a mentor for people, I'm not telling them what to do. Um, I'm telling them to say out loud what it is they think they want to do. And pretty much people answer their own questions. It's, but it, it's worth having someone you, to talk to particularly if, you, if you're not able to have that conversation with your partner or your partner doesn't understand the complexity of your business. Or, um, it can be really helpful to have someone with whom you can sort of just swap these ideas in a, in a no-risk way, you know, in a, in a way that isn't going to bounce back on you in the office. Um, what else were you talking about that, that struck me there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the whole thing about corporations and um, relationships, you know, you're probably going to be working with those people that you're competing with at some point. You know, maybe they're going to come and work with you. Maybe you're going to go and work with them. Maybe you're both going to go and work to it in a third place. So don't make unnecessary enemies. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a case of um, people are doing things because they want to win and because they're instructed to and try and you know, be tolerant of others. Be strict with yourself and tolerant of others. I think it's Marcus Aurelius, that one. Um, just because uh, you never know how it's going to turn. You, you never know. I don't think the guy that was involved in, in getting rid of me in 2002 thought we'd be running a business together in 2005. But that's the way things work. Mm. It's a strange old world. All right. You got any takeaways from the conversation, Stu? Uh, yeah, I mean, mine is 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 a standard stew theme. Um, don't build a career, build a life. Seek balance. It's not all work. What about you, JT? What have you got? Mm. Didn't actually have one, but uh, sort of looking back on it, it it really comes down to look out for yourself. Spend a little bit of time planning, 
and be a little strategic for yourself as well in your career planning. Um, but again, don't build a career, build a life as Stu said, makes sense as well. You know, you've, you've got to come down to your balance. Um, you know, don't kill yourself for a company. Uh, lots of random thoughts, but I don't think there's any clear takeaway. Just don't do Justin. That's it. <laughs> there we go. Don't do Justin. All right, Stu, where can people find you on the interweb this week? Ah, uh, well, you can find me at stuartlannon.com where I've, uh, I've sort of caught up with my, my writing. Um, so there you can subscribe and read my novel as it's serialized and whoa, we're drawing close to the end now. I'm gonna have to start editing the thing. I think. Ooh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, and oh, there we go. My dogs again. They're being, they're being fed, the lucky dogs. Um, you can also email me at hello at Stuart Lennon if you've got anything to say. Um, or you can find me at Nero's Notes, nerosnotes.co.uk, where you can find lots of really nice stationery. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Um, you can find me, uh, easiest place is email me just at stationeryadjacent at gmail.com. You can find me online, justintwyford.com, uh, YouTube, still playing out with the youtube thing it's fun uh, at beyond your front door if you actually want to see what my ugly face looks like um all right next episode this is episode 99 Stu. ah good uh, lord next episode is 100 we got to think of something special to do we've got some notes going back and forth but i don't think we've actually figured anything out yet so it'll be a surprise to both you and us <laughs> but there we go that always the best until then goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us. <laughs>